Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. Uh, we'll start with a simple little story and then we'll get into God's text, which is in the bulletin. If you'd rather read in your Bible, it's Psalm 130. We're going to look at just the first four verses. It's also in your bulletin, though, if you want to see it from there. Uh, for 12 years, I was the chaplain of the Milwaukee Brewers, and uh, that afforded me a lot of privileges. And one of the privileges that afforded me was I got to meet uh, famous people, and not just famous people in the world, but famous people in Christendom. And we had a pastoral uh, retreat. We went down to, I believe it was Louisville, Kentucky, for Together for the Gospel. Uh, we do that every two years it was on. And after one year, uh, Kevin DeYoung, one of the preachers in front of 10,000 pastors, was preaching. And it was me, Dan Miller, our youth pastor, and Drew Papillon, who's actually in heaven right now. The three of us went up to go greet Kevin DeYoung afterwards. And you can imagine with 10,000 pastors in a, in a big uh, stadium seating, there was a long line. So we waited probably 20 minutes, half hour, just to shake his hand. And when we got up there, I said, hey, Kevin, uh, I'm the chaplain of the Milwaukee Brewers. Would you ever consider skipping church where you pastor and come and preach to the Brewers? Now, Dan and Drew are like, there's no way, there's no way, there's no way. And DeYoung was just like, I'd love to. So, it, side note, that really irritated Dan and uh, Drew, <laughs> which really kind of made me happy. Uh, so he agreed to, and that summer he came, and uh, we went down to Miller Park, and uh, we... I let him do the preaching instead of me. It was like uh, you go from a C- minus to an A++, and the guys loved it, both teams, the ushers, uh, the umpires. Everybody loved it that day. And this guy is cool as a cucumber. He is unflappable. You speak and preach in front of 10,000 people, nothing's going to shake you. So we're done with all of it. We're getting ready to go. He's gathering up his stuff, and it was a national televised game. And that game, uh, they had the national TV crew coming in. On that crew was John Smoltz. And John Smoltz is a Hall of Fame pitcher. He was retired and went into the Hall of Fame. And I'm not joking. One, I'm at the pulpit, so I can't lie. But when Kevin DeYoung saw John Smoltz, he's, <laughs> do you know who that is? Do you know who that is? I'm like, yeah, that's John Smoltz. He was my, I loved him as a little boy. Oh, if there's anything, I would just love to meet him. And I'm telling you, Kevin DeYoung, this master pre preacher evangelist, became like a five-year-old in the presence of John Smoltz. So Marcus Handel, our bullpen catcher, I said, hey, Marcus, can you hook him up? Because Marcus played minor league ball with John Smoltz years before. So he introduced uh, Kevin DeYoung, and Kevin DeYoung was like a little five-year-old boy in the presence of Smoltz. I use that as an illustration to tell you that's kind of what the fear of God is. It's a holy awe. You're in the presence of greatness. It's not necessarily a terrified feeling as much as a holy awe, you're in the presence of someone otherworldly. And that's a silly illustration to promote what I'm saying about the fear of God. Do you have a healthy fear of God? Do you have a holy awe who Jesus is? And I thought about it, why is this so lacking in Christendom? Why is this so lacking in our church where I don't see a lot of people with this holy awe of who our Lord is? And I thought two things. One, I think we don't think our sin is that bad. Oh, we'll recite Romans 3.23, the wages of sin is death, blah, 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 blah. Get to the love of God. Get to the love of God. Get Bielgard off stage so we can hear Darren tell us how much God loves us. I want to hear that as well. But there's also a healthy fear of God that I sometimes am lacking and I don't see very often. So first of all, I don't think we see ourselves as that bad. And secondly, I don't see people realizing how great it is to have your sins forgiven. I don't think we 
grasp how great it is to have our sins forgiven. So I picked Psalm 130 because David was a man who knew what it was like to have his sins forgiven. If you know anything about David, if you've read the Old Testament, David was a man after God's own heart. But man, he wasn't super righteous. He had plenty of sins, and they're on the pages of Scripture to see. Now, David knew how to sin, but when he blew it, he knew where, or better yet, he knew who to go to when he blew it. And that's what made David a man after God's own heart. It wasn't a perfect uh, list of moral standards that he attained. He ran to Jesus, or better yet, he ran to the Lord when he blew it to you. So I'm going to pray. I know Darren prayed, but I'm going to pray again uh, for Psalm 130. We're going to look at four verses together. Will you join me? Father, I pray you'd help me right now. I pray, Lord Jesus, that uh, I don't want to scare anybody. I don't want to yell at anybody. I don't want to hellfire and brimstone anybody, Lord. But there is a healthy fear of who you are. And you're God and we're not. And you found a way. You have made a way for wicked, nasty, unclean people like Wayne Bielgard to be forgiven. And for that I stand in awe. And for that I fear you. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would cause that fear to descend upon all of us in the next 15 minutes. In Jesus' holy name I pray, amen. Uh, Psalm 130, verses 1 through 4, I'll read it and we'll just make some comments about the verses. So follow along with me if you would. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. So starting in verse 1, David writes, out of the depths. David's in distress right now. He's realizing divine anger and attribution is coming to us for his sin. And he's guilty. And David elsewhere wrote in Psalm 51, a broken and contrite spirit, O God, you will not despise. And David knew that when he cried out of the depths, he was broken. And he knew how wicked he was and how holy God was. And he cries out of the depths. And I wrote this down. If the Lord has been gracious and good to you, individual, by revealing how sinful, guilty, and unclean you really are, praise God. And don't just cry about it. Cry out to God about it. He's the only one that can help you. If he's been gracious to show you how wicked and sinful you actually are, because you are, I don't care how good you are, you are sinful and wicked in the sight of a holy God. Out of the depths, cry. But the second half of verse 1, you know, as David doesn't just cry about it and suffer from depression and are sad about it. He cries out to you, O Lord. I wrote this down. Everyone play, prays or at least claims to pray here at this church. But hardly anyone I know cries out to the Lord. And uh, Charles Spurgeon wrote this down. Prayer is never more real than when it rises out of the worst places. And how true is that? Uh, when times are good, prayer comes from my mouth. But when times are bad, prayer comes from my heart. Isn't that true? And I thought it was on display this past Monday night in that Monday night football game. Now, I know because uh, uh, on Twitter I saw that the chaplain had a team prayer for the Bills before the game. And the defensive backs who, Damar Hamlin, the man who suffered the heart attack, was part of that prayer uh, time as well. So they had the team prayer, then they had the def defensive backs prayer. But what happened when Damar Hamlin almost died on the field? Out of the depths, people cried out to the Lord. You know the difference between just kind of saying your prayers and crying out from the depths? Well, David writes, out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. Do you feel guilty? Is your sin weighing you down? Take it to the Lord. 
Oh, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas. Notice he doesn't have a, a plea for justice. It's a plea for mercy. And I wrote this down. Uh, Oxford Dictionary describes mercy as compassion or forgiveness shown to someone when it is within one's power to punish or harm them. Compassion is, uh, mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown to someone when it is within one's power to punish or harm them. David knew it was in God's right to punish and harm him for his sin. And he cries out to the Lord. And he cries out for what? For mercy. He's like, don't give me justice. I know what I deserve. I don't want that. I don't want what I have coming to me. I want mercy. In verse 3, David is under the weight of his sin and he sees before a holy God his situation and he realizes, I'm ruined. I'm ruined. And he writes in verse 3, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, he does mark iniquities. He's keeping track of all of our sins and he's our judge. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? The answer, nobody can stand. Nobody. We're all in deep trouble. J.C. Ryle wrote this, according to men of the world, few are going to hell. According to the Bible, few are going to heaven. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, he does, O Lord, who could stand? The best verses in the Bible have the buts to start him. But, but with you, <laughs> but with you there is forgiveness. But with you, Lord, there is forgiveness. And it reminded me of, remember when Jesus was with the disciples and the rich dude came up and said, hey, what must I do to be saved? And he's like, do this, this, and this, and then sell all you got, then follow me, and you'll have riches in the kingdom, and you'll be saved. And the guy went away sad, and the disciples went to Jesus. Man, if the rich dude can't be saved, he's the most blessed, who then can be saved? Remember what Jesus said? Nobody. Nobody gets saved. It's impossible. But what's impossible with man is possible with God. God makes a way. But with you, there is forgiveness. And then the verse that really struck me, the second half of verse 4, but with you, there is forgiveness that you may be loved. It doesn't say that. I thought it should say that. I thought it was a typo in my ESV, so I went to the other translations. They all say the same thing, that you may be feared. I think the key to it is David knew that someone had to pay for his sin. He knew there was a price to be paid. And sometimes we forget there's a price to be paid for our sin. I think that was the key David knew. And he said, well, you know, maybe God will just kind of wink at it. And it's like, well, you didn't mean it. And it's okay, this, that. And, but our God is holy, holy, holy. He's a righteous judge. Now, imagine this. A man robs a bank in a fit of drunken foolishness. Robs a bank. He uh, hurts a couple people, shoots the guard, doesn't die. The guy's just on intensive care, but it looks like he's going to live. And he goes before the judge, and the judge is like, what do you have to say for yourself? He's like, well, you know, that, that uh, guard was kind of an old guy. He was going to die pretty soon anyways, and, you know, I got caught, so I, I gave back the money. And judge, at the end of the day, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I wish I had never done that. And the judge is like, it's okay. Let's go free. That would not be a righteous judge. That would not be a good judge. You see, there's a price to pay. Justice must be served. And when we think we can go on sinning and just say, oh, sorry about that, won't do it again until Saturday. No, there's a price to be paid for our sin. And David knew that. And that's why he says in verse 4, but with you there's forgiveness that you may be feared. <sighs> the price needs to be paid. And God doesn't just wink at sin. It must be paid for somehow. 
And David knew in part what we know now in full with the New Testament. God paid the price. And there's a cost to be receiving mercy, and someone has to pay the debt. Someone has to pay the bill. I thought about this. If after church today, uh, I drove separately. My wife's name is Carol, and my boys are all here, and <laughs> they both have cars. So everybody drives separately on days I preach. So we're going to have four cars coming back, but we all love football, so we kind of get back soon. But imagine I come back, and I'm the first one when I get home, and uh, my neighbor's standing there. I'm like, Bob, what are you doing here? He's like, hey, man, while you were gone, the bill collector came, and I took care of your bill. I'm like, oh. What did I owe? He's like, well, Amazon was here, and you owe a buck fifty in the delivery fee. And I took care of it. Don't worry about it. I'd be like, man, that's pretty sweet. Thanks, man. And I'd probably shake his hand. I probably wouldn't give him a hug, but I'd probably shake his hand because he paid for it. I was like, what a loving neighbor. But now imagine I come home, and I'm the first one home, and my neighbor's there. And he's like, hey, Wayne, I paid, I paid the bill. The bill collector was here with some people, and I paid it off for you. I'm like, oh, Bob, what did I owe? And he's like, well... I guess you owed back taxes, $800,000. I took care of it for you because I love you. I'm telling you, if that case happened, I would become like Kevin D. Young in the presence of John Smoltz. And I'd probably get on my knees in tears and worship the man who just paid my debt. How are you about what Jesus has paid for you? You realize how much it cost Jesus to forgive you your sins and pay the debt for you? Have you forgotten what it cost Jesus to pay for your debt? Well, that's what we want to look at today. Today we had an impossible debt to pay. It wasn't $800,000. It was impossible. There was no way we could pay it. And you ask, well, how much did Jesus pay? The song says it well. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. He paid it all. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Now there's a lot in that verse, but I like to narrow it down to just these four words. Jesus took my place. Jesus paid it all on the cross. And I just chose one verse to end our time, my time, and then we're going to hear Darren. Uh, talk about the love of God. But in Mark chapter 15, it's in your bulletin or you can turn to it uh, in your uh, Bible yourself. But Mark 15, verse 34, uh, we see Jesus hanging on the cross. Now, Jesus had been on the cross for six hours at this point. The first three hours, he's hanging on the cross, and then darkness hits. And if you know your Bible, darkness refers to judgment. And God the Father is judging God the Son for the sins of Wayne Vilgard and others who would believe in him. So as he's hanging there, God is punishing him. And it's dark, and it's on the cross. And uh, parenthetically, this is the only saying of Jesus recorded from the cross that's in two different Gospels. It's in Matthew, and it's in Mark. All the others are just in one of the Gospels. So I think God really wants us to hear this verse together. So let's hear it together. Verse 34 of Mark 15. Our master, the one who paid it all, hanging on the cross. It says, at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Aloy, Aloy, Lama Sabathani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How much did it cost the Lord? Jesus paying my debt right there in verse 34 on the cross, crying out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The great exchange is happening. Jesus is dying in my place. 
and he's taking on my sin so that I could receive mercy. And I'll just point out four things that will be done about this one verse. Aloy, Aloy, Lama Sabathini, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We could spend months on this one verse, but I'll just point out four things that was happening as Jesus cried out to his father as he was punished for my sin. Verse 54, number one, Jesus is forsaken. As he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is forsaken so that God can say to Wayne Bielgaard, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I forsook my son on the cross so that I will never forsake you, Wayne. Number one, Jesus is forsaken so I can hear God say, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Number two, Jesus is separated from God at that moment. Jesus is separated when he cries out, my God, my God, why, has you for, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is separated from God so I can say, for I am sure that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He was forsaken and he was separated from God so that I'll never be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus my Lord. Number three, Jesus is condemned as guilty. He's considered guilty by the Father, and he's condemned. So I can say, there is therefore no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. He was condemned, so there's no condemnation for Wayne Bielgaard. And finally, number four, Jesus endures God's justice. Justice is satisfied by Jesus, so that I can cry out, my life, mercy triumphs justice. James chapter 2, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. So I close by saying Psalm 130, verse 4. With you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can kill both soul and body in hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10. I'll end with this. 99.9% .9 of every person says the greatest thing in the world. 99.9% .9 of every human being would say the same thing. The greatest thing in the world is to have your sins forgiven. And the worst thing in the world is to die in your sins. 99.9% .9 of every person would say that. Everybody in heaven, the millions upon millions upon billions of people in heaven would say that. And the millions upon billions and billions of people in hell would say that. It's the 0.1% here on earth that say, well, you know, I'm not really sure I want to do this or that with my life. I'm telling you. By the authority of God's word, the greatest thing in the world is to have your sins forgiven. And the worst thing in the world is to die in your sins. Have you had your sins forgiven? Are you clean? Fear him. Let me pray for Darren. Lord, I pray for my brother. I pray, Lord, as he washes us over in your love, I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would experience your love in the next 20 minutes as Darren proclaims how wonderful you are. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.